It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. The first Sunday of the NFL season is here, and the excitement continues with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. DraftKings is giving all new customers a can't-miss offer to celebrate the return of the NFL season. Bet just $1 on any football game this weekend and receive $200 in free bets instantly, no matter what. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new customers $200 in free bets instantly when they bet at least $1 on any football game. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any week one game. That's promo code THPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly this week at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Hockey fans, if you'd like a copy of my new book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to flankerpress.com. If you'd like a personalized copy for $25 plus shipping, email me at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. That's terryryan2020 at gmail.com. Gentlemen, boys, and girls, welcome to this episode 68 of Tales with TR. I'm your host, 
Terry Ryan. It's good to be here this week. Things are, I'm busy this week, but things are settling down a bit. Summer's tailing off, but there's a lot to be excited about. The hockey season's just around the corner. Canadians, well, NHLers are going to the Olympics. How about that? I cannot wait. That's by far the biggest sports event that I'm looking forward to for, for the year. Um, I think Lemieux and Gretzky only played together in that 87 Canada Cup. Wasn't, wasn't Lemieux hurt in 91 and then Gretzky later after? <clears throat> I think Gretzky was retired when they won it in 02. But anyway, just the thought of all the greats, let alone Crosby and McDavid, playing together. Mm. I don't know about on the same line, obviously, because they're uh... well, power play, I guess. In any case, I mean, who cares? You could even throw one of them left wing, couldn't you? Um, you know, for power play or even for who knows what can happen, all the combinations, all the excitement. And I'm only talking about Canada, but I think every team well, it's just going to be exciting. It's just going to be exciting, you know, and there's going to be fans. We're slowly getting there. Uh, concerts this week. We got to place Iceberg Alley in uh, Eastern East End of St. John's. April Wine or tonight. I hear they're sold out. Just uh, some great news to see people out and about and to hear the hockey season almost. Almost happening in a fairly, fairly regular manner. You know, it's September. It's time to be thinking about hockey. Training camps are about to start. Football starting up, which really, uh, I'm not, like I said, I'm not huge into football, but it really does take the pain out of the fall, doesn't it? I mean, I enjoy the fall. We have great weather here in the fall. But in my opinion, there's just, it, there's a dark cloud surrounding it because each day gets a bit shorter and you can sense that. You know, the leaves are falling off the trees. The animals are saying, Fuck this. I'm out of here. Birds are flying south. What happens to those little birds? Anyway, you know what I mean? I love the spring because it's the same kind of weather, but things are starting to grow and the days are getting longer and there's a real feeling of hope. Now, although being all that being said, the seasons change in Canada, which is a nice thing. I lived in Orlando my last year playing pro and I noticed that you're almost numb to it because every day is the same. I mean, it does get a little cooler in the seasons. You can kind of tell it's winter as opposed to summer, but, you know, it's not the same. It's when there's actual snow on the ground and you have a fall. I mean, I love the fall, but like I said, man, you know, I love Newfoundland, but ideally, if I could get a spot, I mean down south for two weeks in november two weeks in january just to know that i was going make make winter a lot easier just such doom and gloom i know there are parts of it you know christmas and jingle bells and all that shit but i i, I just you know the wind with the summer is so much better i wonder how years ago you know like Hundreds of years ago, people settled here in Newfoundland. It's great. I love my home. I really do. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be right back in my own hometown of Mount Pearl. Vote Ryan. Uh, if 
if I didn't choose that, you know, but, but I had a foundation here. There's electricity now, for God's sakes. Imagine. And Newfoundland is the oldest settlements, like year-round settlements in North America, like for Western, you know, and European civilization. I hate saying that because it's really, the history books are almost racist. There was lots of people here, lots. Just wasn't our kind, uh, being me, being white, uh, Irish slash English descent, right? But there was all kinds of indigenous people here before that, long before it. But you know what I'm getting at. So anyway, people decided to come on over from Europe in early 1600s. And most kept going. Some decided to stay. And I just find it, I just find it such a, such a curious thing to, to choose to live on the cliffs here. Like, and the weather is savage in the winter. And all you would have to do is go out a signal hill a bit and float. And in a few days, you're in at least North Carolina, you know? You know, like with, with all and people say, well, they stayed for the fish. I know, but like Florida is on the coast. Jesus, there's nothing established. Again, not being ignorant to the people that were here, but whatever. If you had a choice, there's people in Newfoundland too. It just amazes me, but I think that's why uh, Canadians... You know, Canada was settled. We were the first, but I mean, even you tr trace it back going out west, that all happened, I guess, with the gold rush, kind of kind of the same as the United States. And I think that the history of the United States is more well known when it comes to the 17 and 1800s because of the gold rush and, and shows like Deadwood. That's actually the late 1800s. But, you know, and the Wild West and all that stuff, that all happened. But it was also happening in Canada, right? I, I think what's the one on? Netflix, there's a show. Anyway, it's a Western. It's it's based around they're building the train tracks to, to go from one side of the country to the other to, to unite, uh, you know, California in the West with the 13 colonies in the East. But the, the same thing was happening in Canada. Um, you know, people were, the, the West was booming. The gold rush went all the way up into the uh, territories. Let alone Canada. When I went out to play in Quinell, BC, there's a place, Barkerville, right out of there, and it's it's a gold rush town, and they got it preserved. But anyway, you know, so, but people that chose to stay up here, not just Newfoundland, and that, to, to have to deal with the weather back before electricity, no wonder that we're resilient. Like, no wonder Canadians have that, you know, when it comes to sports, say, let's just say hockey, since we're doing a hockey podcast here. I do think... I've always thought of it as a Newfoundlander as by, and by extension, a Canadian, that that's kind of in our blood, right? Like, so right off the bat, just by our default setting is one that's a little bit adverse, right? Now, knowing what I know, I just can't believe it. I'm telling you, I, I all things being equal, which they couldn't be, but if it's 1600 and I realize that there's palm trees just a few days away, I love you, Newfoundland. And my would-be ancestors, but what in the fuck were you thinking? Um, no electricity. Anyway, I'm proud of my heritage. I just, I've always found it amazing. But of course, that's why I think we're storytellers and we're good at the arts, you know, and 
you ask people in my family or all over Newfoundland, go to all the communities, you know, I, again, I, I learned this in my meaningless outside of school uh, folklore degree, but uh, you know, folklore is it's, it's hard. The, the first course is honestly, the whole thing's based on just trying to define the word folklore because everything is folklore, but think song, think song, dance traditions, that sort of thing, right? That's one kind of element. Well, you know, all over Newfoundland, you'll go out places and they'll go, no, no, we don't have any, you know, musicians in the family or we have no, no one's artistic. And meanwhile, they're making this like folk art, like figurines. They're not doing it to sell it though, right? Uh, they're going to the local legion and they're beating an ugly stick. Google that. No joke. There's a thing called an ugly stick. Um, you know, and they're playing the spoons. Look at that too, if you don't know what I'm talking about. And it's a hugely artistic place, but you know, even now the communities, if you go in Newfoundland and go to the coasts all along the coast, man, which is, we're all coast really. Um, almost, almost. Um, you'll come across towns and you know, the local, it might've been a Joe's Tavern 200 years ago. Now it's the local Legion or Lions club, but people go there and they, they sing together and they dance and they tell stories. You know, they play bingos and it's, but it's all based around that. It comes back to this community involvement and, and community event. And everybody seems to have this huge attachment to their community. That's why by extension, if, if, if you're from another province, I know a lot of you are from other countries going, what the fuck is he talking about? Um, but just Newfoundlanders have a really, in, in, they, have, they have a sense of pride unlike any other that I've, I've been. Um, we as Canadians do. I mean, check out the, again, it's a hockey podcast, the 72 Summit Series, 87 Canada Cup. Those are my two favorite hockey national moments. Um, new generation might be Sidney Crosby in 2010. Uh, but uh, Newfoundlanders in general, you know, I, I don't know if it's like I said. Actually, I, I do think it has to do with our traditions and songs and togetherness because of everything I just said. But if you go to any other province, you'll notice there's a Newfie bar, right? And, and I say Newfie, but people call me Newfie. And a lot of people here take that term and, and they don't like it, but it's always been used as a term of endearment to me. If someone says, hey, you stupid fucking Newfie, that's a different thing, right? And Newfie jokes, those, those used to be pretty common, but people don't celebrate them in here as much. You know, We laugh at ourselves and we have a good time, but I think at least pre-internet in my life, uh, people kind of went a little bit overboard with that. And we were seen as, for lack of a better way to put it, just a bunch of hicks. And uh, now with the globalization of the internet and tourism, heavy tourism here in Newfoundland, that's changing by the day. But anyway, I don't, I don't have any problem with, the, you know, people call me Newfie because I'm from Newfoundland and I'm their buddy. In my experience, but anyway, if you'll notice, there, there's if you're f listening to this from another province, there's a Newfoundland bar uh, somewhere near you for sure. So we like, you know, we like that. Uh, we no, no one wants to leave home for the most part, but we have to, and especially as as years have gone by, whether it was the fishery or the oil industry or or hockey or whatever, things draw people away, and. Uh, they just love coming back. Anyway, that's that wasn't planned, but that's my spiel on uh, Newfoundland and why I'm proud but astounded to be <laughs> a Newfoundlander.
Uh, but hey, we all come back. We all love it. Next, I've got to say this. So Bob Torrey, who used to be a GM in the Western League when I played out there, he was in Seattle. Um, anyway, now he's in Tri-Cities and we've been keeping in contact. Great guy. I meant to say this months ago, man, and I just I, I just have so many messages across so many platforms and I'm doing so many things that sometimes you, you lose one here and there. And um, anyway, I promised him that we'd we'd try to raise some money from for uh, the Tri-City Americans Players Education Fund. I think that's very important. Uh, when I played in Tri-Cities, um, we they, they, they always emphasized school. My parents wouldn't have let me go there otherwise. And there was a university, Columbia Basin College, which I think was an extension of Washington State University uh, in, in Spokane. So we went there and took, took courses while we were there. It was always it was always an important part of my life, the, the players and their education, whether even whether it's a kid that wants to go away now, um, you know, to major junior or something you know, a lot of kids don't realize that they can get their schooling paid for and, and they can, and, and Tri-Cities is one of those places, but they need support, right? So um, direct donations to the Tri-City Americans uh, Players Education Fund, uh, are tax deductible and they can go directly to the link below to donate, which is btory, B-T-O-R-Y at amshockey.com. Btory at amshockey.com. Okay, uh, just use that link or inquire or whatever. There, there's, there's the opening of the gate. Uh, and Bob, I really appreciate you guys flying me out there a couple of years ago. To, to I went out and they they honored the top 30 players. And first of all, I don't know who voted on that. Um, and I know I get a few listeners in Tri-Cities, so I'm talking to the fans as well. Much, much appreciated. And did I ever love when I went back? Because I'm, I'm from so far away. It, it, it honestly couldn't be much further in North America unless you're, you're talking Hawaii. But really, it's, it's your, your guys are on the West Coast and I'm on the East Coast, right? I actually live about 10 to 15 minutes away from the furthest easterly point in all of North America. So London, England is closer than, I'm not going to say Toronto, but definitely Winnipeg. I'm just doing my mental geography, but definitely Winnipeg. So, you know, we're out there. So it's it, for me to get, I remember it would take more than a day to get to Tri-Cities sometimes. Cause it's one thing to go like Toronto to, to Seattle, but for us, we have to get to Toronto. It's often uh, St. John's, Halifax, Toronto, at least that, at the very least that. And then Toronto, and you're looking at Edmonton, and then Vancouver, or if you get lucky, Edmonton, straight to Seattle, Vancouver, Seattle. And then from Seattle, you got to go into Kennewick, or the, uh, it's Pasco is the airport. It takes some long, man. Um, so... And it's, you know, it's expensive. I don't mind saying that. So, you know, I'm, I'm never not going to go back, but I really got to pick and choose. So a couple of years ago when I got that, that message, it, honestly, I, I got goosebumps. And to be back in the building and 
see it thrive with a new generation of fans, as well as a lot of people that were there watching us was, man, it was such a great time. And I'm going to order a bunch of stuff here, Bob. Um, I figure I, uh, I'm going to surprise my, my dad and my mom with some uh, Tri-Cities merchandise. Dad loves the hoodies and everything, right? And anyway, they, they, they love my time out there as well. It's just we, we just can't get back a lot. But thank you to the Tri-City Americans. And there you go if you want to donate to the – and this is the Players Education Fund people, so uh, it's going to a good spot, and it will be appreciated. Hmm. There, that was supposed to be said three months ago. My guest today, interesting dude, okay? So he's known as the fourth line voice or Southpaw on Twitter. But he has a, a podcast called the fourth line voice and it features, it, it, it's, well, he calls it enforcer-based podcasting. So it's heavy on the uh, tough side of things, but he's an open-minded guy. And I think a lot of people expect this show full of <laughs> barbarianism and f-bombs and crazy stuff but it's not the case it's just you know the guy grew up in saskatoon and i won't even say his name is darren but i'm not sure it's not explained anywhere what his last name is so i'm just not gonna i'm just gonna leave that to him let's just call him the fourth line voice but it's a really intriguing podcast and um it's from the heart and it's from a fan that grew up watching the Saskatoon Blades. Now, if I've talked about the Western League and just the, there were just battles, it, it was real, real tough hockey. I, I don't know that I've I've never, ever come across tougher hockey than the 90s WHL in my own personal life. And I can't speak for anything that came before it. But if you grew up watching the WHL in the 90s, then and you enjoyed it. And especially if during that time, the team that you watched was the Saskatoon Blades, who were just always, in my experience, huge. Remember, and, and even, well, look it up, man. They had Wade Belak and Chris McAllister as D partners. Look those guys up. Oh, my God. It was just like, and then sm like smaller guys, they had like Clark Wilm up front. But he was such a good hitter and he'd run around and hit everything that moved and the place would go fucking bonkers. Uh, and you knew someone was coming to fight and you were hoping it was like a middle heavyweight like Rhett Warner. Rhett Warner was, you know, you, you got, if you're an NHL fan, you know, he played for, for years. He had some great seasons in Calgary. Uh, well, you know, he was one of the guys chad allen was his partner jeez there, there's four uh not that chad was real tough but would put up a fight and, and he was a good player but rhett was tough as nails too but good players right wade belak was a first rounder people forget that as a defenseman when he got there i mean he was so tough that and, and you know he didn't have i think his foot speed got him a little bit which is why he was up front in the nhl and during the tough guy era there was and wade belak became a decent checker don't get me wrong but i mean like he was first like for a big guy he was mobile they picked him in the first round on defense it wasn't just hey you go be a meatball i believe he went to uh quebec and then got traded to calgary and eventually found his way into toronto and nashville and maybe i'm 
missing a team, but I, th- I think that's it. But uh, anyhow, anyhow, if you grew up watching that team and, and the cast of characters and just real tough players that came from there, I can see how you would salivate over tough physical hockey. Uh, okay. Without further ado, let's get to it. Fourth line voice coming back at you shortly from Saskatoon. We'll be right back. Okay, here we are. So it's, well, first of all, my guest bailed, but it wasn't really his fault. Uh, The fourth line voice, like I said, from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Um, We couldn't get our recording devices in sync. So tomorrow I have a fundraiser for any of you who are in the St. John's area. And I'm going to give a little, I'm not speech per se. It's my buddy, Blair Connolly. Okay. So uh, we're, we're having a fundraiser. Blair ran into some health trouble that, uh, that we all believe he'll, he'll, he'll fight his way out of, but we're doing a little fundraiser for him tomorrow. And uh, it starts, it's a golf day. And then, I know later we're, we're going to auction some things off. One of those things is a trip to Montreal. And I hope I can get whoever I can. <clears throat> I haven't confirmed it yet. <laughs> I kind of promised people that I could get them in the dressing room. But, you know, that I don't usually call in that kind of favor. But for something like this, I will. So I'm going to have a little. I guess I'll handle that part of the auction. The, uh, the Canadians giveaway and stuff. And, and, and maybe tell a little story on, about Blair. One of my best friends. So anyway, that's tomorrow. And then Saturday and Sunday, I got a huge campaign thing. There's an election on the 28th here in Mount Pearl, a municipal election. And um, I'll tell you about that now in a second. But, but anyway, so point is I'm real busy. So I only have right now. So either I don't have a guest again or I tell you guys a story. Okay, so I've never really read one out of my book, but I don't know. Why not? We're here. Um, and before, before I even start this, so right after, right after I press stop on this recording today, I have to go out. So told you guys I'm running for the election. Well, there's a hurricane coming tomorrow. Hurricane Larry, is it? It's been on the go for a few days. You always hear about it on TV and then it dissipates or it just goes off the United States radar. And in Canada, you'll hear a little bit because it's always the tail end. We never get like the Igor came. But other than that, we normally it just gets really windy. It doesn't get like life threatening, although I guess any anything's life threatening. But you know what I'm saying? The worst is over, but we get the shitty end of the stick. Totally. It's not good weather. And it just and you should see this weather pattern. It goes directly by St. John's and the Avalon Peninsula. Nowhere else. So, you know, I'm sure it might be a little bit of drizzle in PEI, but we're going to get like the right. We're right in the center of it all the bad, bad part of this storm. Uh, so that's on the go, but I got to go down and take out. So I put out all these election signs. People are like election signs, election signs, you know, like last time um, I checked, I think there was, I got like 250 out there and that's low end people, all people in the know told me get at least 500. So I have almost 250 signs out there and I got to go pick them all up tonight. All up myself after this, I got like Dan Carlin's six hour hardcore history podcast and it'll be every downloaded and it'll be every bit of that craziness. 
And then I'm going to have to go put them all back up again. And it's not like I got this campaign team. Well, Penny Lane, but she can't drive around and she can't stay up past bedtime now. Uh, like I said, my buddy Gerald Butt helped me to make them and put them, you know, the big ones up, you know, him with everything from getting the lumber to putting them together. I'm hardly a tool man. But anyway, the rest of it, I just go out and buy the stakes like that you drive into the ground uh, at Home Depot, which aren't cheap. And then I put the signs, which aren't cheap, on them with screws that aren't cheap. So anyway, it's a process. And I worked like hours and hours and hours a day up to this point to finally get almost. I still didn't have all the signs out. And now I got to go tonight and get them all up out of the ground because of the hurricane. Right. The, the safety of it. I get that part of it. It's just real hard. It's just going to be hard. So I'll be up all night and then uh, got that tomorrow. Don't want any pity here. That's what it sounded like. A pity party for Terry. What I mean is that. I, I usually could just put this off like I did last week till Friday or Saturday and get somebody immediately on here the next day. Like Pete Vandermeer was like one hour. Pete, can you do it? Got back to me. Yes, I can. Last week because it was also last minute. So. Apologies about the no guests this week, but uh, it's all I can do. And if you like, uh, you know, if you want some content and you haven't bought my book, well, here, I'm, I'll just read you a random story. There's no reason I'm reading this particular one. I'm just like, I need a short story. So this is only a couple pages. Um, so here we go. This is about when I fought Trevor Gillies. Now, Trevor was, you know what? You know what? I won't ruin it. I must explain it in here. I haven't read this since it was published, by the way. So this is in the list of hardest punches I've taken, which were from Ryan Vandenbush, Mark Morrow, and the aforementioned Trevor Gillies. It was early in the 2002-2003 season, and I was in the East Coast Hockey League playing for the Cincinnati Cyclones and trying to heal a high ankle sprain that was bothering me from the year before. It ended up being the injury that would end my pro career. At this point in my career, I had played a few seasons in the AHL and spent some time in the show, so I didn't really have to drop the mitts and prove anything to anybody. My goals for that season were to heal my nagging ankle injury and put up some good offensive numbers again. But fisticuffs found me anyway, given the fact many opponents figured they might elevate their hockey status by beating a former NHLer in a tilt, which was true. I obliged most of the offers because I'd been in that very position, uh, position not long before that, and guys like Ty Domi and Todd Harvey had accepted my invitations to the dance floor. I wasn't quite Ty Domi, obviously, but nevertheless, I'd made it to the next level, and to be honest, I was the perfect opponent for guys like Trevor Gillies. I'm not huge, but at almost 6'1", 195, I'm not tiny. And my toe-to-toe -to -toe style of fighting meant for great entertainment. <clears throat> Enforcers love to put on a show. My face was basically a punching bag for these toughies, but I always got my shots in too. Gillies had a considerable amount of size or size average, size advantage over me at 6'3", 230, but I'd been fighting guys that size fairly regularly over the course of my career, so it was par for the course. And I didn't think much of it. The Peoria Rivermen had a real tough squad, as did many teams in the Northern Division of the East Coast Hockey League at the time. Jason Lawmaster, Jeremy Yablonski, who I also fought, check, check that out on YouTube. Trevor Gillies, Anthony Belza, and Brad Voth all averaged over five pims a game that year, and I think it's safe to say they were all scrappers before scores. 
In the first period, I grabbed Voth after an invite to Dents, a mammoth at 6'6", 210. And early in the fight, I caught him clean in the jaw, and he went down like Phil Kessel on a seesaw. Voth was strong. I just landed a perfect punch while he was a bit off balance, and that happens from time to time. When I got out of the sin bin after serving my five gillies was staring me down. I remember that, man. One of the luckiest punches I've ever had. Voth was huge. I knew he was tough, trying to prove himself. But as he was opening up, I got in with a quick one under his jaw and he couldn't. Anyway, everything just happened right. If we fought 10 times, I might lose eight or nine of them. Uh, this is me talking now. Back to the story. Jesus, I'm ruining my own fucking story. Where are we? Here we were lining up for a face-off and Gillies was shaking his mitts. It was times like this I had to fight. I get too much anxiety thinking about fighting into a guy like Trevor Gillies, so I'd rather get it out of the way then and there. Gillies was talking to me as the official got ready to drop the puck. He said he wasn't fighting me out of revenge. Voth and I fought fair, and I won. He was fighting me for shits and giggles, as he put it. Trevor Gillies would end up playing 50-odd games in the NHL, so he was building a resume too, but I honestly don't think fighting me mattered much in that department. He was simply staying sharp. If you grew up in the 80s like me, Using Mike Tyson's punch out as a comparison, I was more Soda Popinski than Glass Joe. I was likely going to trade a few, but I was going to give <clears throat> and at least give Gillies a go. Sorry. Finally, Trev just says, okay, TR, let's just go. And I'd really appreciate it, man. Do me a favor and drop it. Mind you, this guy looked like a hulking savage as he uttered these words, but at least his gracious invite to dance made the whole situation seem less insane and more humane. Well, I'd love to say I built off the first fight and had another solid bout, but this one looked, <laughs> looked the worst of all three mentioned here. Side note, all three being this is the third fight I'm talking about or the third, the hardest punches that I've ever been hit with. Back to the story. I started throwing rights and so did Trevor. And I don't think I'd ever been in a tilt with a more determined, focused, focused prepared fighter. What I've since come to realize is that Trevor Gillies wasn't going to let anything get in his way of making it to the promised land, the big show. Nobody who came across this guy in the early 2000s was going to get a free pass. I was currently the meat on the menu. I was a small obstacle en route to his larger plan. In those days, Gillies ate, slept, and breathed hockey. He worked on his skills relentlessly for hours after practice. He rode the bike two or three times a day. He accepted every interview and signed every autograph. He visited children's hospitals, but that's just Trevor being Trevor, I guess. He's a charitable guy. He maximized his potential as a hockey player on and off the ice, wherever his hockey journey would end up taking him. So anyway, I should have taken all this into consideration and done my homework, but I suppose I got a little complacent in the East Coast League. I really wasn't ready like I should have been, and I let my guard weigh down. I gave Trevor Gillies an open shot at my face as per usual. I was used to taking a shot or two to get into the fight, quote unquote, but this was a big mistake. As, as he started hitting me, I knew it might get ugly. He was drilling my head with three or four rights. And then as I scrambled to recover through what I remember to be a left, but could have been another right. It was hard for me to tell as I was in the middle of an old fashioned shit kicking. I didn't usually hear the punches as they hit me, but these were so heavy. Each one of my senses were, was triggered to some degree. I could even taste my nose blood running down the back of my throat. Jesus, this guy was next fucking level. Thankfully, Trevor realized I was in a world of hurt and didn't keep hitting me when I collapsed to the ice at his feet, looking like a desperate kid on a playground, begging for mercy from the school bully. I'd bitten off more than I could chew. No shit. 
We got to the sin bin and Trevor didn't skip a beat. We talked about his career up to that point. And I gave him some tips on how many guys would be coming across, coming across him soon in the AHL. He told me he had heard some great stories from Jeremy Yablonski, an ex-teammate who I'd, I'd mentioned earlier. We played in Boise together and were quite close. Yabo's a killer too. Check his scraps on YouTube. He and I also fought once. I mean, it's a job, right? Unfortunately, my nagging in 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 ankle injury never healed, and my pro career was shortly over shortly after. As a result of his positive attitude and focus, Trevor played the next season in the AHL with the Springfield Falcons. I was back in my hometown that year doing color for the St. John's Maple Leafs. We went for a steak and a few beers after the Falcons Leafs played with my dad and some friends. Trevor told stories for five hours and nearly missed his bus in the morning. He really loves the game, and I respect that immensely. While most players from that time are long retired, Trevor Gillies played in the South, played in South Carolina in the East Coast League until the 2017-18 season. One of his best fights that year was against another pal of mine, up-and-coming 24-year-old Jack Nevins of Ottawa, Ontario. The cycle continues. And there you have it. Uh, that's from Terry Ryan. Oh, sorry, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore. For those of you that want a copy, go to flankerpress.com. That's where you'll get it for the cheapest. Uh, and of course, if you want to kick in some extra coin, um, I'll sign one and send it. I'll personalize it uh, for 25 plus shipping. Uh, and if any of you are in, uh, you know, Ontario, I'll be there soon. Toronto for a little bit, and then I'll be up north in Sudbury for at least a month. Um, and that's coming up in the fall. So if you're from that area and you, you just want to get one online and then come meet me in person, I'm going to set up some signings up in Sudbury and Toronto. So like I said, just go to Flanker Press. They'll send it to you, and uh, I'll sign it there, whatever you like. Not that anybody asked, but I, that, that second. So Darren and I have been talking for the last few days. But that second, he was getting home from work. And anyway, one thing led to another, and we couldn't uh, get the pot off the ground. So I figured, why not? I'll tell a story or two. Okay, I'm just getting a message from Darren, the fourth-line voice, that he now can do it. Uh, so... You know what? I got about 25 minutes left. Let's get him on and just ask him some questions. He's a good guy. He's got a great podcast. Let's figure this out. We'll be back in two shakes of a lamb's tail with the fourth line voice from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Okay, false alarm. Darren couldn't do it. So I have... No rhyme or reason to this podcast. I've been rambling. I don't even know. Other than the story I just told you, uh, I don't know what this is going to sound like as a unit. I, I, I guess I'm just going to read another story. I got no choice. If there's people still listening, then it means the last story must have given you some entertainment. So actually, this will take care of two birds with one stone because uh, a lot of people ask me how I know Shane Corson. Well, first of all, who my good friends are from when I played up top that you'd recognize I could name a bunch of minor leaguers. Darcy Harris, probably one of my best friends in the world. I had him on the podcast, but if you're talking actual NHL uh, dudes that 
had a long lasting, you know, they're recognizable in the Canadian zeitgeist that is hockey, you know, uh, uh, of, of all the guys I played with, you know, that, that went on to either become or were already NHL stars. Course and Tucks really kept in, in, in touch with me and it was great to see them go on and play for the Leafs and, and live there now and their their uh, brother-in-law uh, brothers-in-law uh, anyway I don't rate friends or anything I'm just saying I, a lot of people ask because they're, they played on two Canadian teams and played a big part on the Leafs Tucks uh, of course was big for both teams but anyway I'm rambling uh, this answers the question of how I know these guys and why they're still friends. Here we go. Shane Corson and Darcy Tucker, page 123 out of Tales with TR, Flates Film and Folklore, available through flankerpress.com. As long as I'm mentioning tough players who had an impact on my life, I'd be remiss not to mention my buddies Shane Corson and Darcy Tucker. I met Corson in the 1996-97 hockey season. At the beginning of that season, the Habs decided to keep me around for most of the year, albeit only to practice for the most part. And they told me, me and they told Darcy and I to live together. We spat it a bit at first. I'll tell you about that after. But after that, we became friends and we had a lot in common. We were young players on the Montreal Canadiens and experienced everything that goes along with that. We also played junior in the same division of the Western Hockey League. So Tux and I have a lot in common. A little over a month or so into the season, we both weren't playing a lot and we were having a chat over breakfast on the road somewhere. I can't remember where we were exactly. In any case, Shane Corson had just been traded to our team and that was kind of a big deal at the time. Shane was the captain of the St. Louis blues and had spent many years in Montreal as a fan favorite on the Habs. He was 30 years old and in the prime of his life in the city that now made him in the city. Now that made him famous, to be honest, I was kind of nervous about meeting him at first. Course walks in, grabs a coffee, comes and sits with Tux and me, of all people. I thought this was bizarre. And uh, as he took some other guys in the room, uh, as he knew some other guys in the room much better than Tux and I, well, I guess he didn't know us at all. I can't remember what he said to Tux, but during our conversation, he let me know that he was a first-rounder as well, who went eighth overall, just like I did, had similar tendencies on the ice, and had a good family upbringing, like many folks out on the rock. He told Tux and I to stick by him and we'd get along just fine. Well, get along fine was an understatement. Most times a veteran like that has a bite to eat with a uh, bite to eat with you to ease your nerves a little bit and welcome, welcome you to the team, stuff like that. I really appreciated veterans like that on any team in any league. They ease the tension and give you confidence on the ice. The thing is with the thing is he wasn't kidding. He really did like us as people and wanted to hang out. Now, Tux and I did have a lot in common with the guy. First of all, Course likes to have a good time. He likes his beer cold, his music loud, and is never afraid to stir it up on the ice. He's vocal in the room. He's one of the toughest players I've ever seen. And that's one part of his career that goes a little bit underrated. One great story is what happened in exhibition in 1997. I was pretty sure my dance partner was going to be Denny Lambeer. And midway through the first, my assumption became reality. We dropped the gloves. Took an early five for fighting in an even short tilt. When I told Course on the bench, he laughed and said if Denny Vial threw his weight around anymore, he all, more than he already was, he was going to have a go at him. Now, keep in mind, 
course was in a going into a contract year and he'd end up making team Canada after some strong play early on for the Olympics. Uh, so fighting Danny Vial in exhibition should have been the very last fucking thing on his agenda. He's a likable wing nut though. And like I said, after talking to him about the Lambert fight, he said, fuck it. And went out and challenged Vial. This one's on YouTube. Check it out. Corson ends up taking him down and you can see me laughing on the bench as he goes off because he told me he was going to do it. Winking. He skated off the ice. That's just one example though. Just Google the guy, some legendary fights. Anyway, I'm digressing and rambling as I often do. Point is we had a lot in common with course after meeting him for the rest of my days with the Habs. He always took me out with him, usually paid for everything, made sure I was fine. He'd even call me in the summertime to encourage me here and there as my career derailed. And I was in the lower leagues, eventually landing in senior hockey and living home on the rock course. And I never really stopped communicating. He always had his restaurants. I'd eat at them here and there and say what you want about the guy. He genuinely remained a friend after all these years. He even got to come to Newfoundland a couple times and get screeched in a few years ago. But that's another story for book three. As I write this, it's over two decades, decades since that breakfast. Not only do I still talk, talk to course all the time, but Tux as well. They ended up finding their way onto the Toronto Maple Leafs a few years later. And both played out most of their careers playing for the legendary squad. They still live in Toronto. And if you can believe it, Tux ended up marrying Shannon, Shane's sister. And they have three great kids together. I think I remember the day they met when Darcy and I lived together and Shane had us over for Christmas Eve dinner. That's not really my business. So I'm not going to comment any further on it at the moment. Maybe it's a also a story for book three. I'll just ask the boys about the details next time we crack a cold one together. Teammates for a couple of seasons and friends for life. Thanks, boys. And there you go. Story number two out of Tales with TR Fights Film and Folklore. You want it? Flankerpress.com. Okay. What else am I going to talk about? I'm sitting here. My mind's a blank canvas. Um, hmm. Okay, you know how I'm going to end this. I'm thinking most people listening to this, it's not your first time hearing my podcast. If it is, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I probably lost a lot of listeners with this one, but hey. Uh, all you can do is go ahead. You deal with uh, the cards you're given, and uh, we just couldn't, Darren and I couldn't hook up today, but I'm sure it'll happen in the future. Check out his podcast, though. Fourth Line Voice. Uh, you know what? I'm going to rapid fire random myself. I got a bunch of rapid fire randoms for the fourth line voice, and I'm going to give them to myself. So here we go. Rapid fire randoms with myself. Okay. Do you have any pets? Yes, I do. I have a kitten, a cat, I guess a year old now named Princess. I have a lizard, a crested gecko named Charlie. Uh, and yeah, that's it. I guess I also have a cat, Oreo. Penny Lane, right? She's in between my place, Danielle's place, and my parents quite a bit. In between all of it, we got a few cats. And uh, Blackie and Oreo are the other two. There you go. Death Row Meal. Hmm. My Death Row Meal, I think just to make it easy, and I would want it easy, I wouldn't want this elaborate thing because, well, you're dying first off. 
but I'd want something that was decent that I could pizza, I think would be perfect. The perfect kind of pizza, grab a slice, talk with the guys that are about to execute you enjoy it. But, you know, sitting down to like a seven course meal, I think would just, I don't know. It would strike me the wrong way. I'd be like, this is a weird arrangement. I'm, I'm really, it give you too much time to really think about in between the courses and everything, like what's going down. You know, I, I think I just want to shove my head full of pizza. Plus I'd order two jumbos. Could you, could you get sick? I wonder if there's some legal stipulation there. If you get ill between the time that your last meal and when they cut your head off or electrocute you or whatever they're going to do. Uh, they wouldn't cut your head off nowadays. They would hang you though in certain places. I went to a hanging Wesley Allen Dodd. Look that up. I didn't get inside the building. Me and Brent Ashcroft. It was in Walla Walla when I played in Washington State. It was a big deal. We drove about, as I recall, about an hour away from Tri-Cities, maybe a bit more. Walla Walla, Washington. Wesley Allen Dodd. I'll never forget it. Anyway, yeah, pizza of some sort. If you could be a cartoon character, who would it be? I'm on a Spider-Man kick lately, and God, I... I I don't, he, he takes all the boxes for me. Spider-Man is eternally young, right? He's either in high school or just out in all the comics. He can't fly, but those webs, I mean, do you need to be 35,000 feet up? He, he's got gadgets too, and the most recent ones like Batman. So getting around, I don't think would be a problem. You got your youth, you're in good shape. He's always associated with a good looking girl of some sort. Um, he's got great family. I mean, I forget, I think his mom and dad died, but uncle, uncle, who is it? Aunt May, uncle Pete, maybe. And anyway, they seem to treat him well. He lives in the suburbs, but close to the big city. Doesn't matter what he eats. He's not going to put on a lot of weight. Right? He's, when's the last time you saw a fat spider? I don't know. And I'm saying cartoon character because he is. I mean, he's not just a cartoon character, but there's a lot of cartoons. Yeah, I'm going with Spider-Man. Um, which show game show would you like to go on? Back in the day, I qualified for Rock and Roll Jeopardy. I was playing hockey in Colorado Springs and I tried something happened, though. I wasn't American. I think that was the problem. And it was recorded not far from there. I remember is why why I applied at the time. It was called. Yeah, Rock and Roll Jeopardy. I, I don't know how long it lasted. And I don't even know where it was available. It was this, you know, extra kind of thing. I, I, I don't know. I can't remember. I know the guy from Sugar Ray, though, Mark McGrath. He was unbelievable. Every night he'd smoke everybody. So I, I guess I'd want to go on that. I think I'd do all right. But I think Wheel of Fortune. My daughter and I play that all the time. And we seem to be ahead of the curve. And sometimes I'm like, geez, do these people aren't even paying attention, you know, picking this, a letter that's already gone. Imagine going on a national show like that and just, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'd like to go on Wheel of Fortune. <sighs> Would you rather be too hot or too cold? Uh, too hot. Even though it's very uncomfortable. I hate being too cold. In the winter, a wet sock ruins my day. So fuck that. Um, if fire hydrants could be any other color, what would they be? They are fire hydrants. Every neighborhood all over the world that I've been 
I haven't been, of course, all over the world, but the countries I've been to, fire hydrants are red. It must be the perfect color. Are they associating it with fire? Or is it just because red means stop, red means fire? I think red means generally danger, most things, even on the, your car when it's the engine starts acting up. Mine goes red, not like green, right? Green represents life and go, grass, blossoming flowers. But if they had to be another color, I guess, God, orange, because it's like fire. That's horrible, too. But people wear those big orange jackets and, you know, the neon stuff for safety reasons. I don't know. I guess I'd go with orange. If you could make a TV show trade, what would it be? Hmm. I would trade. Yeah, good one. Whew. I would trade for shits and giggles. Tony Soprano with Newman from Seinfeld. It's, I always go with Seinfeld. It's just on my mind. I haven't seen it in years, although I found it hilarious, but I don't know why. It's just the perfect little, you know, four or five cast members, well-known. I think that would be interesting, though, to see Jerry treating Tony Soprano like he treats Newman and Newman in the Soprano role. I think that would be interesting. Pineapple on pizza. I got to say yes. I got to say yes. I I know it's not the traditionalist point of view, and years ago maybe I would have said no, but I've had it more and more lately, and I mean, what is it? Pizza, I mean, what is it? I think we're taking food too serious if you say no. Um, what would you change your name to if you had to change it to one of these names? Darth, Corky, Punky, Seven, or Truck? Darth, is there, is there only one Darth that I know of, Darth Vader? So... I think I'm going to go with Darth. Now, fuck Corky. Punky. The only Punky I know is Punky Brewster. Seven. Again, that's from a Seinfeld episode. Can't get it out of my mind. And truck. Truck. Just an inanimate object. No. But truck could be like, you know, I'm a big. I'm built like a truck. No, fuck that. I'm not. I'd, I'd go with Darth. If you had to make an animal sound on Sundays, what would it be? So every Sunday, the rest of my life, I'm trying to talk, but I can only make an animal sound. Ah, oh, God, which one would it be? I like moo. It's a heavy, it's, it's, it's one of the only sounds that's spelled like I would think. Like when I hear a cow, I, I would, if I never knew and I never saw it spelled, Old MacDonald wasn't a thing. If I didn't know anything, I was an alien. I would think they're saying moo. Whereas I don't think I'd ever come up with quack for a duck or a wolf as a dog. I mean, they're close, but moo, that's what they're saying. It's deep. It's, it's leadership-like. It's distinct. It's to the point. But again, I'm, I'm, you're associated with a cow. Lion, there you go. 
Uh, I, I nearly was sold on cow, but you know what? I wanted the, the lion's roar for sure. Would you have your shoes, size 30 shoes for $1 million? Okay, I see what I meant. <laughs> Forget some of these. Would I change it so that my feet are size 30? Because size 30 is big. You'd look like a goofball driving around, walk, or sorry, walking around with size 30. If you were just stayed the same size, but all of a sudden my, my shoes are like Krusty the Clown. For a million bucks, though, I'd rather honestly chop off toes or something. I just that would imagine your feet like, at least twice as big. That would be more than twice as big than mine are now. I mean, you wouldn't even walk the same. It'd throw you off. God, I could certainly use a million bucks, though. God, that'd be hard to do. I said I'd, I'd, I'd more. I'd consider chopping off a foot and going with a prosthetic first not to not to underestimate the people that are unfortunate that have that happen i'm just saying this is a hypothetical no i wouldn't fuck that big gawky stupid shoes yeah that would be yeah no, fuck that uh favorite jersey of all time i could keep going with it and i could lie to you and say because i played for the montreal canadians i love that i mean it's nice and traditional the habs are kind of Fuck, they ever notice when it comes to these third jerseys and stuff? I mean, they try, but there's only so much you can do. You, in the, you know, the, the Leafs can do, do, do so much with the Leaf, and, and their jersey has changed, but it's still only going to be two colors. The Habs is going to be red, white, and blue. You need that CH on the crest, and even when they wear that all blue one with the red trimming, it just looks weird. It, it, I just think they're stuck. Like Some teams can... I mean, think of what Dallas has had, good, bad, and ugly, or Buffalo, or these guys come up with, like, different colors and all that shit. Kind of. I guess the Canadians wore the Maroons jerseys one time from, like, the 1920s. Anyway, point is, I love that I played for the Habs. Their jersey reminds me with tradition, but it's far from my favorite. If I was talking hockey jersey, man, I just love that Chicago Blackhawks jersey. I love it. I love the... The stripe sequence on the on the sleeves, even not just the crest, the, the white black, white black, white black, and then the red, yeah, the red Chicago jersey with the 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 crest and the logo. I just love it. Probably be banned soon, of course. I don't know where Blackhawk sits on the level of offense to people. I'm not making a joke of that. I mean, I I, I don't know. Uh, you know, Redskins, for example, right? Washington changed it. Turns out Redskins was, I guess, a derogatory term. I should know more about the indigenous history of that, but I don't. Um, and it's a legit question. The Eskimos, the Edmonton Eskimos just turned into the Elks. So I'm guessing the Atlanta Braves, Cleveland Indians, and Chicago Blackhawks might be coming next. Who knows? I don't want to take a side of that argument. All I'm saying is that I absolutely love the Blackhawks jersey. How many snails have you eaten? So that just comes down to how many times have I eaten escargot? Less than 10, but more than five. When was the last cigar you smoked? Uh, for me, Daniel Cadigan uh, gave me one. Or James Cadigan, his brother. I was at their place at last Christmas time. Their dad, Ron, actually hockey legend here in Newfoundland. And I was over there. 
and uh, they reached out, gave me reached out. They literally reached out with a cigar. They gave me a cigar and I smoked it, but I'm not big into them. Do you have a ring? What's your ringtone on your phone? My ringtone right now is already gone by the Eagles. Uh, if you could marry a cartoon, who would that be? A hundred percent Jessica Rabbit. And would you pick the 1980s or the 1990s? Huh. To live in. Um, personally, obviously, the 90s were great. So if it was to relive that, it would be fun. But uh, I believe where I was going with that was if I could live like right now in a setting for the rest of my life, if I had to pick one or the other, would I live in the nineties or the eighties? God, that's a tough question, Terry. Glad you asked. I think, I think I'd pick the nineties because one of the things I love about the eighties is the music, even though I know a lot of it sucked, I get it. And it's got a reputation. The eighties as being cheesy and over the top but it's all cyclical and some of the things that were considered cheesy are coming back. Hence I'm wearing a mullet. That's not even that weird. Got it at the beginning of the summer, totally reasons that were unfashionable. And I notice that it was already kind of coming back, but I didn't join any bandwagon. I just showed the, uh, I showed the hairstylist, my, uh, eighties hockey cards, I said, I want to look like this. And that's how the mullet came to be. But uh, I'm really digressing here. I think because the 80s, yeah, I could always go back, listen to the music. And in the 90s, there was a lot of things that were starting, uh, like the grunge movement. And again, I lived out there, but that was happening. And I like that. It was, it was, it, it, it was, a, there was a lot of creativity happening. The hip hop world was taken off, rap. Uh, I was lucky enough way, way, way back to see Ice Cube right after he was in NWA. That was powerful. Um, so if only for the music, I'd say the 90s. So I'd have both uh, music encyclopedias. How's that? Uh, there were th What did I love about the 80s growing up? Um, just, just growing up. I, I grew up. I was a kid under 10 years old in the 80s just coming to be as a person. So whoever I met, whatever hockey players I saw became my idols. I don't think that is rare, um, but I can't disassociate that in my head from the eighties that were to me. I, uh, I was coming into my own as a person in the eighties, but as a hockey player, an adult in the nineties. And that was more of an impact on me because of where I was in my life and, you know, moving away, everything good, the bad and the ugly that was traumatizing, but then going to Seattle for the first time and playing in the NHL as a teenager, that stuff, you know, that was, it's impossible for me to look at it any other way. Anyhow, there you have it. Rapid fire randoms. Um, that's it. I think I'm going to tune out here for, for episode 68. Oh, I usually finish with a song and I don't have one ready. What's the theme of today? All by myself. Here, let's go. All by myself, which is by Eric Carmen. Let me bring that up.
Uh, hard to be sure. Sometimes I feel so insecure living alone, thinking of all the friends I've known. When I dial the telephone, nobody's home all by myself. Anyway, that's what you have today. TR all by myself. Uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. If you're in St. John's, check out Greensleeves, downtown, uptown. Uh, great experience, great music, great people, great food. TJ's, why not check it out? Patio's still open, still summer. 22 degrees here today was awesome. Wedgwood Cafe, why pick anywhere else if you need catering here in St. John's and, and, and surrounding area? It's also a great restaurant on, on Elizabeth Avenue, so check that out. My good buddy, Peter Wedgwood. Penny Posh, Women's Wear Reimagined. Check it out. If you'd like a hoodie, let me know, and I will throw in a book for a decent price. I believe they're on for $129. We can go $69 plus tax. If you want a book, uh, let's say $95. Bucks. There you go. You get a hoodie and a book. Why not? This has been Tales with TR, Episode 68. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Have a great week. I will be back with a guest next week, so... Stay tuned, keep it real, and catch you on the replay.